Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and welcome to Simplify Cancer Podcast. Honestly, I'm super excited today because you're going to hear from Matthew. Matthew runs this amazing organization called Stupid Cancer. And Stupid Cancer is all about empowering young adults to deal with cancer. And to me, empowered really means knowing your rights, knowing your options and making the choice that's right for you. It's all about having the belief that there are different ways to go about your cancer. And no, no matter which road you take, you create the journey. Like for me, Matthew is a true inspiration, so I just know you're gonna love it. Hey Matthew, so listen, first off, I want to start with what was life like before cancer? I know this was a long time ago, so you have yeah. to dig up in that memory. What was it like, man? Footloose and fancy free. <laughs> you were invincible. You could do anything you wanted. There were no obstacles ahead of you. Blue skies, only optimism. And that's a good thing because you're supposed to have all that when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. You need that. You need that invincibility to want to take on the world. And that was what I wanted. That was, that was my life. Yeah, it's such a, a fantastic point you bring up, invincibility. You know what? Now, now that I think about it, it really was like that because nothing could happen. You're almost like living in this bubble. It's a good bubble. It's a good bubble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of, there are bad bubbles, but it was a good kind of bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, then you find out, they, they, they tell you, you got, well, it was six months to live. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I was, um, you know, the last thing on your mind is getting sick when you're young, let alone getting like devastatingly sick when you're young. So, you know, it, it was to say surreal is an understatement, but it was just denial. It wasn't possible that this could happen to someone like me, my age. This is something, it's not exceptional for someone to think that way in general, but when you're just a kid and you get sick and they say, you probably won't be here in six months, how do you how do you process that? It's just denial. You're in absolute consistent denial. And did you, did you come out of that somehow? Well, you never really come out of it. I guess just by not dying, it helped the narrative that I wasn't dying. And then you keep hoping that you don't die. And eventually time moves on and you figure out that you need to live instead of worrying about dying. And that's the transformation. Yeah, exactly. And and you know what, Matthew, like, I don't know about you, but I have so much advice to share with the kind of the old me. Who went through, uh, who was going through, through cancer and, and going through treatment. Cause I really had no clue, like what was going on. And if you had the chance to do something differently, if you could sit down with the old self, what, what would you tell him to, like in retrospect, to just make it, make it easier for yourself? One of the most important things to me these days is to guarantee that if you're sick, you know your rights. And you know your choices. I would go back to myself 22 years ago and give that version of me his rights and his choices. All the things you should be told right now that you're not going to find out anyway. And being able to guarantee that someone diagnosed today is made aware of their rights and choices is the most important thing. Because if you don't know what you don't know, your life is in jeopardy. So in my case, I was facing chemotherapy that would have put permanent nerve damage in my fingers and toes. And at the time, I was an aspiring concert pianist, and I couldn't play because of the tumor. But if I had any chance of living, I'd rather be able to rehabilitate myself, play again, versus going on a chemotherapy that would have given me this devastating side effect 
if I had lived five years and died, but being able to play piano, that was more important than living 80 years and not being able to play piano. So I was not made aware of that choice, except that I had an uncle who was a geneticist that kind of nudged into my decision making and helped me make a better choice that was important to me. You know, not everyone has a miracle uncle who knows these things to snoop in and tell you these things. But if I had to go back and tell myself, I would I would have told myself what my uncle told me. That just don't do this. You're going to be fine as long as you make a decision that's the best for you. Yeah, you're, you're so spot on. There's so many things that you have to take into account. I mean, I was lucky because... I was told that, you know, if you go this chemotherapy way, it, it might affect you playing your guitar. And if you go this way, you know, it might affect uh, your fertility or whatever. So, yeah, you, you kind of have to know these things. Otherwise, otherwise you're screwed, right? It, it just comes down to choice. And it's hard. 22 years ago, there was no internet. So I had nothing to look through. And today, there's way too much internet. So you don't <laughs> quite know what trust We've come 360 degrees back to the same confusion out there. So whether there's nothing to know about or too much to know about, it just comes down to who's going to help you figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. And on the other side of it, in terms of people who kind of help you through it, with friends and family, like a lot of folks I go to, they, they have people who kind of disappear from their life for one reason or another, you know, throughout this kind of whole cancer thing. What was right. that experience like for you? Any one part specifically then or just in general? Yeah, just in general. Friends or family who maybe you kind of expected to be there and did, did it kind of work out that way? My personal experience may not be that of other people, but I've heard that this is not uncommon, what happened to me. People go either this way or that way. They never go right, right towards you or right behind you. They're either full on, I'm here to help, whatever you want, whatever you need. My parents did that. My brother did that. My family did that. Um, my coworker, I mean, my college friends, my high school friends, some of them just bailed. Can't deal with it. Got to move on. Going to grad school. Live my life. Sorry, man. And, you know, that was painful. They just kind of summarily rejected me. I was too much of a, um, a burden for them to be sick and complaining all the time. But I didn't really focus on that. I focused on the people who came to the hospital and spent every waking hour talking about me and talking to me and sending cards and flowers. And, you know, but again, I didn't know what to expect. You don't wake up saying, can't wait to get cancer to who my friends do. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I just kind of roll with the punches, like, fine, you don't want to talk to me, I don't talk to you, I'll talk to these people now, because they're the ones that care about me. So I guess it was unexpected that the ones that did flee were the ones that fled, because they some of them were the least likely I would have thought to behave that way. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess for me, like, like you said, also, like when I was going through the experience, I didn't really, you know, I, I was kind of in, in the zone. But like, I guess after cancer, I kind of looked at it and I went, oh, like these three close friends I had, they, they just disappeared completely. And I was trying to rationalize it and kind of make sense. Like, why, why did it happen? And you know what? I still don't have, a, I don't still, still don't have a good reason. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You got to cut your losses when you can. It's going to hurt. You didn't expect it to hurt because you weren't expecting it to even be there in the first place. But it is my hope that people who get sick have lifelines and have handrails and guardrails and support. Some don't, some do. And um, it's regrettable, but sometimes you just have to go it alone. Yeah, that's it, man. And, you know, like the other thing that I guess all of us go through is having the fear of cancer coming back, especially as you get closer to every checkup. You kind of start thinking about it. 
how do you deal with it? What sort of advice do you have for someone who uh, maybe is going through it right now? Yeah, we call that scanxiety. <laughs> that's, that's a nice word. <laughs> I didn't make that up. That was told told to me. Scanxiety is the never-ending fear that it's going to come back in some way, shape, or form. Or for those people even living with it, did it get worse? Did it get better? And, um, you know, metastatic cancer is a really big deal in what we do here at Stupid Cancer. But I, I like to use the expression, step into the pain. I, I got that from a friend of mine, and I'm not really original. I just recirculate. <laughs> but, you know, stepping into it, owning it, it's going to happen. You cannot control the outcome of what's going to happen. And as, as difficult as it sounds to just do that, what choice do you have? You either worry about it and panic and get into a disorderly array of, of stress, or you just say, this is going to happen and I will deal with it when I get an answer. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it that, yeah, it's separated what, what you can control from, from what you can't control. And there's multiple kinds of anxiety too. You know, you, I, I'm out 22 years now from brain cancer and I still get headaches and my brain's like, well, is that, is that cancer again? Probably not, but you know, it's still there. The trigger never goes away. It's about owning the trigger. And yes, time makes that a whole lot better. And I'm not saying that if you're a year out, it's the same as being 20 years out. But it just really is a perspective on how things you can control, things you can't control, and just owning the unknown. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know what, Matthew, I wanted to ask you about that as well, like doing this podcast and doing my writing and all of that sort of stuff. It really helps me to find like a, a new meaning, almost like an additional meaning of things that I do with my life that kind of really take me away from what you call anxiety is like really being able to focus on something bigger, something positive, something that is, that is, uh, the, the way that I guess I think about it, something that is bigger than myself because that helps me kind of put cancer in its place. Stop worrying about it and making it, I guess, worrying it from coming back. So do you have the same thing with what you're doing with similar things through going through what you're going through with stupid cancer? just things that you do? I mean, I think it's important to people to find an anchor in their life that helps ground them. That was a really bad metaphor, but my whole point is that if you have a hobby, a friend, you like to write, take pictures, don't let that fade away in the face of your challenges. I mean, I happen to be a concert pianist. I was sick. I couldn't play, but I was able to just sit down every day for an hour and just do anything. My, my fine motor coordination wasn't working, but I could still play a little bit. And that was all I needed to stay grounded. And I know today in social media, there's plenty of blogs and people journal and, and there's so much more you can do these days than you could back then. Express yourself, share your story. Those are not monotonous platitudes to talk about. Those are authentic ways to do that. So at Super Cancer, we advocate for people to express themselves, share their stories, talk about what's going through them, connect with their community, meet people like them, end their isolation, and take ownership of the fact that they're part of a huge family of people that care about them and won't judge them. Yeah, not been judged. That's, that's fantastic, man. And I know your vision for stupid cancer changed a number of times. You went through a few name changes. So yeah. how did that come about? And just what, what, what were those changes like? So I believe in something called a minimally viable product, which is when you don't know how the crowd is going to re respond to you, but you let the crowd determine your path. And the, the best thing I tend to use is many people might remember that FedEx used to be called Federal Express. 
But people started calling it FedEx for short because we're lazy. So they legally changed their name from Federal Express to FedEx. And now we don't give it a second thought. So following the crowd, letting the crowd carve the river for you to float through. So I had an idea for a couple of things when it started, and it worked really well. But at the same time, the crowd decided that stupid cancer was what we were going to be known by, known as, and known for. So after all the weird names we went through in the beginning, which have (laughs) historical credibility in the wash, the community decided what we were going to be. And that was been the best learning curve ever in growing a business. Well, that's really amazing. So what what are the people telling you today? What are they saying? What what is the direction that you think is going to go to now? We've spent the last 11 years yelling and screaming that young adults are treated unfairly, that we're invisible in the cancer spectrum, that we are largely ignored in clinical trials and statistics and mental health and psychosocial information and patient navigation and doctor-physician relationships, early detection, survivorship, metastatic, all the things that exist for the bulk of people who have cancer over 50 do not exist at all in any relatable age-relevant manifest for the Gen X, Gen Y, and Gen Z communities, which are millions of Americans. I'm not dismissing the, the finite nature of how small the population is, but we're talking about millions of people. And after yelling for 11 years, the world is finally listening. What is it that they want us to tell them? And the community wants equity, equality, parity, justice, dignity, that we are all treated age appropriately. We are given the same access, the same rights, the same age appropriate care and centered on what makes young adult cancer different. We're not eight. We're not 80. We don't care about our summer homes and Medicaid. We don't care about our bottles and our toys. I'm not dismissing the value of there being different age groups. We're not better or worse. We're different. And those differences need to be part of medical care and part of models of care. So that's that's what we're waiting for. That's what the crowd is telling us. Get some policies in place, get fertility preservation mandated, get age-appropriate mental health care in place, help me navigate my how to talk to my children, how do I start dating again, what do I do with my career, my insurance is terrible. Things that are pretty pretty crappy when you're well are just made worse when you're sick. And even then, it's not being managed appropriately to help a 22-year-old get through cancer on their terms. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going through uh, IVF process right now with my wife and it's interesting because you know um, chemotherapy has um, you know kindly killed off the cancer but it's also killed off most of my sperm so it's an interesting and and um, pretty stressful process I guess like a lot of young adults that's something that you may not necessarily even consider when you're going through treatment right well the narrative over the last 11 years is well why young adults why are you so special and like we're not special so we're different, which is what I said before. I'm like, how are you different? I'm like, do I really need to tell this to you? But we start with fertility. When you're six or 60, that's not an issue. Your right to be a mom or a dad one day is infringed upon when you get cancer. And it is, it is up to the doctors to tell you, you should bank your sperm, freeze your eggs, and here's a way to do it that's relatively inexpensive. Or, hey, your insurance covers this. You should do this right now if there's time. But the fact that that conversation doesn't really happen that often is part of the frustration and drives the narrative of young adult cancer. 
So it frustrates me. If you were to tell me that your doctor didn't have you bank your sperm before your treatment started, that would infuriate. And if that is true, allow me to be infuriated because that's a liberty that you have to know about going back to choice. If you were not made aware of that choice because your doctor didn't tell you that and you didn't have a peer to talk to to say, hey, you should tell your doctor about this, then who is going to help you make that choice? Who's going to make you aware of things that you could never be aware of before? And IVF, I have kids, they're IVF babies, you know, cost an arm and a leg. Should you really have to pay that much money to be a dad? No, that's what makes this different. That's why this is relevant and important. Yeah, exactly. That's such a great point. And I really want to hit on yeah, something that you really keep on bringing up over and over again is choice. It's having the choice to do something. You know what? Like, I think I'm probably speaking for everyone who's who's gone through cancer. You really, a lot of the times you feel powerless. You feel like you're not in control. You feel you're not you don't really have choice about not only about treatment, but choice over like appointment time. You don't have cho- choice about the specialist. You actually do, but you kind of don't realize it, right? A lot of times, probably too often, you're at the mercy of what you've got. And you're at a point of, of insanity and panic and, and everything is all fuzzy where it's hard to make objective decisions. And if you're terrified and you want a second opinion, you might be scared to get a second opinion because it could be worse. But you're, you're stuck with what you got. And it always helps to have a helping hand in the form of, of a peer or a community that's been there. And whether you're at a major cancer center or in the middle of a community with like, you know, 50 patients and three doctors, your right to have a community of peers like you to help you fill in those blanks and those gaps is even more important. And the social aspect of going through cancer is just as relevant as the medical aspect of going through cancer. So if you had been introduced to other young adults with cancer when you were diagnosed, we would have probably told you like the collective, we would have said, hey, talk to your doctor about getting your sperm bank because they're probably not going to tell you about that. Or you might be lucky to be told that. But you got to think what's in the mind of that doctor, man or woman, I don't care, where it doesn't occur to them that you're in your fertile years and they know chemotherapy can create infertility. That is a known medical data point for 30 years. So that, I keep coming back to fertility because it's so tangible. It's something that's so tangible. It's it's tactile. It's infuriating. And it is the most relevant conversation that defines young adult cancer. So true, Matthew. And, you know, all the all the amazing work that you put into Stupid Cancer all those years. And I think you, you said at one point I read about it, you said that it was um, after all these years, you became an overnight success. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. What, what made the difference? Yeah, it's like, I never heard of you. Yeah, we're the 11-year-old company that just made it big yesterday. Like, that's really <laughs> ridiculous. But I don't care about that. As, as long as you know about us, whenever you know about us, that's great. You'll drink the Kool-Aid and you'll move on. But I think the, the ongoing confounding aspect of running a nonprofit organization is endless challenges and growing and scaling. Because the need is never over. And you can't reach 72,000 new people every year the day they're diagnosed. It's improbable. So the frustration is... 
how can we do a better job getting the word out through our existing survivor community? Programs like these will enlighten people to know that we're an organization that is in a very unique space right now, coupled with the challenge that we're few and far between. You know, you go to, you know, Iowa Community Cancer Center, no offense to Iowa, there are not going to be a lot of young people there. But if you go to Sloan Kettering or MD Anderson, if you have the privilege of being able to go there, yeah, they'll probably put you in a bed in the ward with other young people out there because they know that's important. But just finding out that you have a community is the most important thing for me for us to represent and stand for because you need that handrail. I, I talked about how, um, you know, when you want to buy a car, you research a car, you test drive a car, you read magazines and other people's reviews of cars. <laughs> You know, no one hopes to go on some pharma drug one day. You don't test pharma drugs just to see which, which one you're going to get prescribed when you get cancer. So you're entering almost like a marketplace that you've never researched. So who is going to be your Yelp? You know, who's going to be your trip advisor? That, that doesn't exist right now. And I think the role of every patient advocacy group in cancer is to try to play part of that role. We can be Yelp and you can be trip advisor and you can be Trivago and you could be, you know, goodies or whatever like yeah we're all trying to be that that lifeline that handrail yeah exactly the lifeline to to a person whose life has been turned upside down yeah thank you so much Matthew my pleasure my honor good luck with everything thank you Hey, this is Joe Bakmutsky, and thanks so much for listening. Listen, I just want to take a moment to really thank you for your time, because I know that it's precious, but also I want to congratulate you. I really want to congratulate you on listening to this podcast, because as we both know, cancer is incredibly hard to deal with, and you don't want to go it alone. And you want all the support and all the advice that you can get to, to stay on top of it, to stay on top of your worries during cancer. So I, I want to tell you about the tools that I have available on my website on simplifycancer.com that can really help you. So all of these tools are available under the tools menu on simplifycancer.com. So tool number one, that's the first visit oncologist checklist. So if the word oncologist bothers you, like I, I know it really freaked me out. If you are worried about your first appointment, as, as again, as we all are, then this can really help you with some key questions that you want to ask. The key thing, of course, is having a list like this means that you won't forget something important, which is easy enough to do when, when you've got a million things going through your head. Plus, it's a handy PDF, so it's easy to print and write down all the answers so you don't forget. So then there is the outcome map. Like this is a really simple but really powerful tool that I have developed to help you deal with worries about something specific, something that's bothering you right now. So maybe you're waiting for your test results and your mind's off running in a million different directions. Or maybe you've got an ache or pain and you don't know what it is. Like, is it cancer? Is that a side effect from treatment? Or maybe is that something else altogether? So it will kind of help you to put it all together so you can, you can get a bird's eye view and decide how to best deal with it. Number three is mastering your emotions during cancer. Now, this is a walk through all the stages that you go through as a patient and as a caregiver through anger and through guilt and fear and how you can address your needs, your emotional needs on every level during cancer. Like it came about after many discussions that I had with my friend and my colleague, her name is Jill. 
her husband had prostate cancer so uh, so he, she has this kind of caregiver's perspective and we both like talked about how there are so many times um when you go through cancer when you kind of just feel alone and you're struggling you're on this roller coaster of emotions and it's kind of full on and it's hard to deal with so there, there's an audio version that comes along with it and there's a link to download the mp3 if that's what you want or you can just listen to it online and you know and just uh, listen along with the pdf so another one is testicular cancer support kit this has a one page summary of what the testicular cancer journey looks like that you can check out for yourself or share with your family or friends like it's got a helicopter view of all the symptoms and treatments and who's involved and what happens when and it's really great one kind of page view of like what happens during testicular cancer Plus, the kit also includes like ready-to-go email templates for your family, friends, and your workmates. So you can kind of share what's what's happened. Maybe you want to break the news on cancer and you can, don't want to think about and wreck your brain on what to write. So you can just copy and paste. You can tweak it a little bit so to suit your personality and you're good to go. And I've also done the same thing for prostate cancer. So check out the prostate cancer support kit. Again, it's showing all the treatment options and stages on one page. So you can walk someone through it like someone from your family or a friend. And they know what to expect and how it all happens. And of course, when you sign up for any of my tools, we just talked about you'll also get an email from me when, when there's a new episode that's kind of relevant to you right now and other news from the world of simplified cancer and listen I'm, I'm going to keep on asking you about how i'm doing here i mean are you getting what, what you're looking for was there something in particular that that really made sense to you or is there a question that you want to ask or maybe there's there's just something that you you want to get off your chest like please i need to know just reply to any of my emails or send me an email right now. My email is joe at simplifycancer.com. So that's J-O-E at simplifycancer.com. And send me an email whenever you've got anything on your mind. So again, I want to thank you for listening. Till next time. 